good morning. Thank you so much, Central Assembly. This is uh, exciting. I am very excited for our Israel trip next year. We are praying that God's hand is on the situation daily and that we can return to the land in which the Bible happens uh, to experience him in a deeper way next year. And so we are really, really praying and looking forward to that. It's exciting to be here with you. Normally, as Pastor said, I'm back there, and I always thought it was because I was ugly. So apparently, I get to be where all the good-looking people, Pastor Jim, Pastor Josh, my wife, they all get to be in the front. But it is, uh, it is an absolute honor to be able to be in front of you. It's, it's one thing I didn't expect um, going off script is looking out earlier and just seeing the amount of people who I've known since childhood and have poured into my life. I'm not from Central Assembly originally, I'm from New York, so if I say things funny, you know why. Um, and the amount of missionaries and evangelists and ministry leaders that have poured in my life that sit in this congregation today is just absolutely amazing. We are just so blessed to have such a rich legacy in that and I get to be a part of that even though I grew up so far away. Now, this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 15, where we will look at the declaration of the birth of Jesus to the world from the angels in the field of the shepherds. And it reads as such, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds had said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I would like for us this morning to center our attention on verse 14 of this passage. Although we may have heard these words uttered every Christmas since the time that we were young, seldom do we pause to take in the depth of the declarations that are made here in worship through the song of the angels that night. In their worship, we find the solidification of three essential truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ that was beginning to come into picture that very day as Jesus entered the world. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now jumping right into it, our first truth this morning that we can take from the praise of the angels is the reminder or the understanding 
that the highest purpose of the gospel, that being the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, is to magnify and glorify God. As they said, glory to God in the highest. Because God is supreme over everything, the first purpose of all that God has done from the moment of creation, when he uttered the words, let there be light, all that God is doing and all that he ever will do is to bring definitive glory to himself. Three times in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, when Paul is giving the description of the blessing of salvation that the believers have now received, it stated that all this is done or was done to the praise of his glory. Likewise, Paul also states in Romans eleven thirty-five to 36, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And finally, as we get to the close of the New Testament, we find this proclaimed again and again in the book of Revelation, looking forward to the coming of days. We're at the throne room of God. We hear these words in chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power today, no, forever and ever, amen. When we look at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, that being Jesus Christ, with his bride, that being the church, each and every one of us, we hear it said in chapter 19, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all of you, his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters, like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. The opening praise of the angels that day served as a reminder of what creation has been crying out from the beginning and what we, the saints of God, have to look forward to throughout eternity in his kingdom. We were reminded what God was doing that very night through bringing Christ, his son, as flesh into the world, magnifying the glory in rectifying the relationship between himself and a sinful mankind 
who was undeserving and had willingly chose to turn away from his perfect will. The song of the angels is one that we will praise him forever and ever singing like they did on that very first Christmas. Glory to God in the highest. So for us, as believers, Christmas is not just a time to celebrate, but it is an excuse, as if we ever needed one, but an excuse to glorify and magnify the Lord God Almighty. Amen? The secondary purpose of the gospel that was being revealed to mankind that day by the praise of the angels about the coming of Christ, his gospel, that was being introduced to mankind was the way to enter into God's favor. See, most translations will usually state to men on whom his favor rests. Or you might be more familiar with the King James Version thanks to the Charlie Brown Christmas. Goodwill towards men. However, God's favor is probably even still not the best translation of the Greek. For the Greek word, eudokia, is more suitably seen probably as God's good pleasure. We see this, for example, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, where the same term is used. In verse 5, it is associated with the adoption of believing sinners into the family of God, where Paul writes, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And then even more clearly, though, in verse 9, when we find Paul giving this word its association with our entrance and involvement in the ultimate plan and purpose of God for creation, from beginning before even time began, that everything in heaven and on earth will center around the love, the worship and service of Christ Jesus. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be perfect in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The good pleasure of God is that all mankind might be saved, that they might know the salvation work of Christ upon the cross, Although when that day came, it was one of the darkest moments in the history of all creation. But Isaiah 53.10 sheds light on all of this and connects the praise of the angels and the words of Paul 
so beautifully stating, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Isaiah 53 at that time was the 700-year-old prophetic description of the substitutionary and atoning sacrificial death of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who came into the world that day for the sin of lost mankind. That was his primary purpose. That was the reason behind everything that was taking place that very day. And looking at this, God isn't sadistic in finding pleasure or joy in subjecting his son to such horrific suffering as we might assume from that wording. But he was pleased in the midst of such pain and such agony because the result of what was being accomplished that day was so beautiful in his eyes. The redemption of mankind, of each and every one of us. He found pleasure in doing it because he looked at you and he said, you are worth it. No matter what the cost, no matter how distant you were, you were worth it. You have value, so much value that he would subject his son to this and it would bring him such pleasure. What the angels proclaimed that day, what they praised the Lord for, was the fact that on that very day, God had brought forth the one who would submit himself to the will of the Father to please him by reconciling lost and fallen mankind at his own expense. For it continues on in verse 11. He, that being God the Father, shall see the travail of his soul, that being the soul of Christ Jesus, and shall be satisfied. What was being satisfied? His holy justice. His wrath for sin that was satisfied in the punishment for sin that was poured out on Jesus as he was upon the cross. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The cry of the angels that day in more simple terms, is glory to God in the highest. For man now has a way to be in right relationship with God once more. Although Christmas is a time to celebrate the child in the manger, the child in the manger is meaningless without the man brutally and barbarically hung upon the cross. Christmas is a reminder in these very words of the angel of God's great plan in our salvation through the suffering of the perfect and willful servant, Jesus. Then, 
we come to the third truth that is found in the praise of the angels. And it is the result or the fruit of entering into God's good pleasure. This, this, this praise that we just heard about from the angels. The salvation grace in Christ. And it is the position and the experience of true peace. For they sang, and on earth peace to men. Biblically, we find the anti-description of peace, the exact opposite of peace in the fall of mankind into sin in Genesis 3. In Genesis 1 and 2, we find that God created everything in heaven and on earth to operate on the basis of peace. And that it was the way that he desired. See, the definition of peace, the Greek word irene, is the reconciliation of hostile parties, friendship, wholeness, rest, tranquility, inward contentment, everything in order as it was intended. But that peace was lost because of the willful sin of Adam and Eve, sin which we are now plagued with which as a result brought that anti-description of peace in four separate ways. Firstly, we have the removal of peace with God. This is the separation from God and man as we chose to be at enmity and hostility with him. We chose to live against him and his will. We chose to think that we could know and be like him. We chose ourselves over him, him who formed us, who sustains us, who loves us unconditionally. And being that he is holy and pure, we cannot be in his presence as we are tainted with the effects of sin. And therefore we are forever separated until he has made a way. And therefore, until that time, we lack true peace with God. Secondly, it's the removal of peace between mankind. This is the separation, the struggle, and the conflict of man between man. The reality of what we see so prevalently in the world around us. Today with wars, rumors of wars, conflicts, abuses, hatred, malice, and everything surrounding them. Man was created to have a unified goal of worshiping and glorifying God. But sin resulted in the majority of mankind being too occupied with the domination and destruction over one another to remember such a calling. Thirdly, the removal of peace with physical creation. Struggle and conflict with nature and the decaying physical world to which mankind's greed hastens even more so. It is no question that we live in a dying world. And finally, the removal of peace within ourselves as we are plagued by the internal struggles and conflicts of morality within ourselves in our sinful state. The true fight with the enemy on the daily 
not out there, but in here. But immediately after the destruction of true peace in creation came the prophetic promise of the restoration of peace on earth through God's good pleasure towards man by the way of one individual. For Genesis 3.15, where God himself states, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Thus began the messianic prophecies of the coming of the one who would be called the Prince of Peace. The one who would break the power of sin which was given a hold of the world that day, crushing the head of the serpent, all the while being afflicted and killed as a result. Luke 2, what we have read here today, is the historical record of the coming of God as man, God as flesh, Emmanuel, God among us, through the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Prince of Peace. It was prophesied and then fulfilled that he would bring the complete restoration of peace through his life, brutal death upon the cross, resurrection, ascension, second coming, and recreation of the new heavens and earth that we so longingly look forward to. And through him, we have this more definitive New Testament definition of peace. The inward calm founded upon a righteous relationship with God through salvation faith in Christ and possessing all confidence that God has everything under his control. It's not a coincidence that in our world today, one of the greatest cries that we hear is one for peace. Look around us, look at any newspaper. Even the words of the lost world cry out for it. We hear protests for peace, peace, peace. And we have seen so plainly in the past years, months, weeks, and sadly even days, in this world, how much and how desperately the world groans for it, the way the world longs for it. But the angels had already told us that day what comes as a direct result of the glory of God and his good pleasure. It was the assurance of his peace upon us. We have the answer to peace, the peace that the world looks for. For it is only on the lips of the one whom the angels proclaimed his birth that Christmas day do we find the commands to love those who abuse you, to be kind and do good to those who hate you, and to pray for those who persecute you and seek your destruction.
So what is the blessed result of the coming of the Son of God that we are reminded of that day in the praise and the worship of the angels? And I want to invite the worship team to come up. Firstly, we have peace with God. We have eternal reconciliation and restoration and friendship with the holy God who chooses to rescue us from our own ways, that we could be with him in perfect communion for all time, glorifying him forever. Paul calls this in Ephesians a mystery because it does not make any logical sense to us that a holy and pure God would choose to do such a thing. But nevertheless, in the praise and the worship of the angels that day, we were assured of it. Secondly, through Christ we find peace with man as we have the true and only answer for reconciliation and restoration with man through the perfect example of Christ on the cross who chose to forgive each and every person regardless of the fact that it was our sin, our choice that put Christ directly on that cross. Oftentimes I get asked by my students, who is directly responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? Was it Pilate? Was it the Pharisees? Was it the Sadducees? But the answer is that it was us. They might have been the mode, but the reason why the cross happened, the reason why it was necessary was because of my sin, was because of your sin, and the just punishment for it in order to rectify that relationship with God. And if he can so freely forgive us for that, how freely can we forgive and find peace with mankind? Then, peace with oneself, wholeness with one's own heart, true eternal stability resting in the promise of God's eternal plans as we are assured that Christmas morning that the peace with God has come in the form of flesh. When this peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, rules one's life, and they understand the true character of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are left with only the realization that no matter what happens in the world that we live in today, that we have nothing to fear as he is in control of it all. He always has been. He always will be. What the angels declared that morning that peace had come is assured to us in Christ's very words in the Gospel of John. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give you is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be afraid or be troubled. 
These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. For in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. Amen. And finally, the true fulfillment of the words of the angels that day, peace on earth comes in the eternal kingdom of Christ here on earth. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5 tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And now I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. To him who is thirsty, I will give it to him for I am the beginning and the end. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The day is coming when everything that mankind has done to destroy the gifts of God found in creation will be undone, and we will truly see paradise as God intended us to. The power of sin and death will be no more. And all will be as we defined peace, Irene, in place as it was intended to be. It is of this that we are reminded of every year when we praise the birth of the Savior who makes all of this possible, that in these words we are assured that the peace of Christ, that peace has come. I want to invite up the prayer workers because so often, especially in the world we live in, it becomes hard to see and to understand where God's peace is in our lives in our surroundings. But as we enter into this Christmas, as the world around us rages, as the world around us gets so lost in its sin and its own self-destruction, it's my prayer that this Christmas we are reminded of God's total and ultimate control over our lives and that we would constantly seek again and again to find his peace, his true peace, his joy in every step 
as we celebrate the fact that inside the babe in the manger, that peace has come.